Welcome to Evangel Church. Our mission is to bring people into a life-changing relationship with Jesus Christ. For more information, visit us at evangelchurch.com. Good morning, everyone. It's a pleasure to bring God's word to you. It's an extra pleasure for me. I get to preach this morning with my dad sitting in the front row. <laughs> My mom is currently on a plane coming back from Egypt, so pray for traveling mercies for her, amen? But I love you, Daddy. Amen. Let's open in a word of prayer. Father, we give you praise this morning, Lord. We thank you, God, for who you are. We thank you, God, that you are present in this house today. We thank you, God, that it's your desire to meet your people in a powerful way this morning, Lord God. And Father, I pray that you prepare our hearts that you would make our hearts soft and fertile for your word to go in. I pray, Lord God, you would remove any thorns or any rocks that would stop your word from going in today, Lord. I pray, God, that you by your spirit today would do a life transformational work in our midst. I pray that you'd hide me behind your cross this morning. I pray that I would not be seen, but that you would be seen and that your name would be lifted high in this place. I pray, God, that each person today would go one step deeper in their walk with you. Come have your way in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to start this message with just a prefix and saying that oftentimes we like to come to church and we like to hear messages that encourage us and bless us and lift us up and fill us with joy. And this message has that component, but we're going to walk through some mud first to get there. Because I truly believe that the messages that transform our lives are the messages that challenge us to our, our depth. If you swarm in your seat a little bit in church, it's okay. If you feel uncomfortable, it's okay. Guess what? You were never meant to feel comfortable all the time. The word of God was meant to make you shake a little bit. It was meant to make you go, oh my goodness. So today it's that kind of message, but no, we will get to the joy part. But we got to walk a little bit together. You take a journey with me this morning? Amen. All right. Open up your Bibles this morning to 2 Kings chapter 22. 2 Kings chapter 22. All right. I want to give you a little bit of background on our story today. We're going to be talking about King Josiah. But before we talk about King Josiah in 2 Kings chapter 22, we're not actually going to read the whole story. It is incredibly long. I'm going to tell you the story. But I want to give you a little bit of history before we touch on Josiah. After Solomon, Israel proceeds to go through seasons of kings. Many, many different kings. They have kings that reign for 10 years and kings that reign for 20 years, kings that reign for 40 years. But in the the prefix of their name, it'll say King Ephraim reigned for 50 years and he did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Or King so-and-so reigns for such and such amount of years and he did good in the eyes of the Lord. And this goes on for hundreds of years. Hundreds of years. And unfortunately, those that did evil outweighed those that did good. And the kings not only did evil themselves, but they led a nation into evil. And so here Israel is a shell of what it's supposed to be. The Bible has gone as far as to call Israel a harlot. It's a harlot. It has turned its back on God. It is a nation that has forgotten God. We come to a king called Manasseh, and Manasseh is king of Jerusalem for 55 years. And the Bible says he did evil in the eyes of the Lord. He has a son named Amon. Amon reigns for two years, and then his men kill him. But he did evil in the eyes of the Lord. He has a son. His son is Josiah. And Josiah becomes king of Israel at eight years old. Imagine your eight-year-old running Israel. He is eight years old, and he is king of Israel. But something very, very amazing happens after his name. It says, but Josiah did good in the eyes of the Lord. Not because he was taught that by grandpa, not because he was taught that by dad, 
But Josiah's heart was right before the Lord. And he did right in the eyes of the Lord at eight years old. And he reigned for 31 years and did right for 31 years. He has high priests that he's made his counsel. And these men love the Lord. So they counsel him correctly. And 18 years into his reign, now Josiah is 26 years old, 18 years into his reign, he tells them, we need to clean up the temple. So they begin to dig up the temple. They begin to work through some things. They have to find some documents. And in the midst of digging up all these things, they find the book of the law. They find the word of God that has been buried and buried. Nobody read the word of the Lord anymore. It was buried. And Josiah digs it up and they bring it to him. They say, look what we found. And he begins to read it. And he begins to read that God is going to judge Israel. That God is going to bring a wrath on Israel. And he begins to read the condition of where Israel is right now in the word. And the Bible says he tears his clothes, which is a sign of sorrow. And he begins to weep and he begins to lament before God. And he begins to cry out to God for mercy. And then he grabs the high priest because remember, Josiah, nobody's taught Josiah how to walk after God. He just loves the Lord. And he grabs the high priest and he says, ask the Lord, go inquire of God. How do we make this stop? How do we stop this judgment from coming? And these men of God go away and they come back and they say, Josiah, the Lord has said that because your heart is tender before the Lord, because you love the Lord, God will hold his wrath on you and your legacy. Your line will be blessed because of your heart. And so Josiah takes that word and he gets to work. He starts cleaning up the temple. He starts walking. The temple now is filled with graven images from hundreds of years of neglect and hundreds of years of worshiping false idols. He begins to rip them off the wall. He begins to wash the floors. He begins to rip up temples. He begins to burn towns that have worshiped the Lord, that have worshiped the enemy. He begins to take witchcraft, people who practice witchcraft and people who are mediums, he puts them to death because they've led Israel away. There is a grave where the people used to go and worship the people in the graves. You know what he does? He rips up the graves and burns their bones. He rips everything out. Anything that is not of God, Josiah gets rid of it. And the Bible says for the first time, true worship is restored to the house of the Lord. All the idolatries written out, ripped out, everything that's not of God is burned to the ground. And now all that's left is what's pure, is what's right, and what's God. And as he continues to read the word of the Lord, he reads about this thing called the Passover. You see, Israel hadn't celebrated the Passover in years. Shocking, because we thought they celebrated all the time. They didn't. Because of the sin that had occurred, the sacred word was buried deep. Nobody celebrated anything. And for the first time in hundreds of years, the Bible doesn't even list how long, Israel celebrates the Messiah for the first time. And true worship is restored to the house of the Lord. And there is a great turning of God's people back to God. And there's a great turning of Josiah and all that he's done. His whole kingdom is turned back to God under his reign. And they serve the Lord for as long as Josiah is king. And at the end of his life, this is what's said about his life. Can you put it up for me, Tammy? In 2 Kings chapter 23, verse 20, 25, it says, Now before him there was no king like him, speaking of Josiah, who turned to the Lord with all his heart, with all his soul, and with all his might, according to all the law of Moses, nor after him did anyone arise like him. Amazing. That is the testimony of Josiah. Oftentimes when we hear about Josiah, what people uh, marvel at is that he was eight years old and he became a king. That's great, it's, it's, it's amazing. But this is the greater marker, that before him and after him, there was no king like him that loved the Lord with all his heart, his mind, and his strength. That is the greatest marker of Josiah's life. Josiah changed a nation. He turned an entire people back to God. Josiah loved the Lord with all his might. 
Isn't it funny that the marker of Josiah's life is exactly what Jesus said was the greatest commandment? When Jesus was asked by the disciples, what is the greatest commandment? He said to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and strength. And here, Josiah, it's the marker of his life. See, Josiah understood something very simple this morning, family. He understood that loving the Lord was not simply a verbal exercise. Let me say that again. He understood that loving the Lord was not simply a verbal exercise. Loving the Lord is married to obedience. You cannot love the Lord and disobey him. You can't. They go hand in hand. If I love God, I obey him. The second Josiah found out what pleased the Lord, because he didn't know, the second he found out, he tore his clothes, he lamented, and he said, how do I fix it? And then he spared no expense to fix it. He ransacked a kingdom. He obeyed the Lord at all costs, recklessly obeyed the Lord. Ripped apart temples, pulled down statues, put people to death, burned bones. All to obey the Lord. All to obey the Lord. Think about it for a minute. He destroyed his father's legacy and his grandfather's legacy because they weren't more valuable to him than pleasing the Lord. There was nothing that was more valuable to Josiah than pleasing God. And it didn't matter what the cost, he did it. He did it. You and I considered these verses for a really long time because there's so much in it. And we can look at it and we can marvel at it. But I think key in looking at it is to understand some things. See, you can look at this and say, well, that's wonderful, Pastor, but I don't have idols hanging in my home. I don't have things hanging in my home that I worship. I get it. But idolatry, by definition, is anything that exalts itself over the Lord. Anything that exalts itself above God is idolatry. Anything that takes the place of kingship and lordship in your life besides Jesus is idolatry. Anything. Anything that robs my affection from him is idolatry. Sin is idolatry. And we don't talk about sin anymore because it's not a nice word. We don't talk about it. But the Bible has a lot to say about sin. The Bible has a lot to say about living holy lives and sanctified lives. The Bible has a lot to say about cleaning up our life. And today, if you're struggling with sin, this is not to condemn you. This is to, this morning to give you hope that those idols in your life can be removed in Jesus' name. That the things that you're struggling with can be broken today by the anointing of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not meant to discourage you. It's not meant to shed a spotlight on you. It's meant to tell you that I'm here and we'll pray and we believe God will meet you. And you'll walk out of this place different and that sin of idolatry in your life will be broken. So sin is an idol. Self is an idol. Self is an idol. You know, we, we can't be confused into thinking that Israel woke up one day and decided, I don't want to serve God anymore. That's not what happened. They didn't just wake up one day and said, I don't want this. They made small compromises. They made small allowances. They made little steps. And eventually, they found themselves away from God. They wanted other nations to like them. They wanted to make treaties. They didn't want to be criticized. They wanted to silence their critics, so they allowed compromise. So they'd make a treaty with the king, and the king would say, Great, can I hang this statue in your temple? They'd say, no problem. Can we worship? Sure, no problem. We give you this as an offering. Sure, and they would take it and take it and take it. And eventually, their hearts grew cold to God. And that's what happens with idolatry. That's what happens with sin, is that eventually it sets itself so much against God that your heart grows cold to God. 
And your love for the Lord now is just a verbal exercise. It has no power. It has no punch. It's just a verbal exercise. And Israel allowed these compromises to come and to come and to come. And eventually, Israel became a shell of what it was supposed to be. It had no power. It had no life. The miracles that marked Israel were non-existent. And Israel's love for God had grown cold. Sound like another country? Sounds like America. We've allowed compromise to come in. And we've sat quietly. And we've allowed compromise and compromise and compromise and compromise. And America has become a shell of what she used to be. We've been so worried about what people think and we want to please everybody that America's grown cold. It's grown cold. And now there are idols all over. We call them superstars. We call them social media. We call them whatever you want. But they are idols. And they have risen themselves up against the name of Jesus. By definition, they're an idol. And they possess the spirit of the Antichrist because they speak against the things of God. See, the spirit of the Antichrist will be released before the Antichrist. And we see it. This spirit of anti-Jesus, anti-Christ. And America's riddled with it. Everywhere. Everywhere. And you know where else it's present? It's present in the church. It's present in the church. We don't want to hear messages that are hard and difficult. We want messages that itch our ear because they make us comfortable. We don't want messages that challenge our flesh. We want messages that make us comfortable. And so preachers and churches and the church in general yields to that. And we set up sacred idols. We don't have idols hanging in a church, but we have idols. They're religion, they're tradition, they're pleasing man. We're so worried about what everyone's gonna think. We're so worried about offending. We want to be politically correct. We're so worried that we might say the wrong thing or we might hurt, someone might leave. But we're not worried that the presence of the Lord might leave. See, at the end of the day, the only person we have to please is the Lord Jesus himself. The only person that has to be happy with what we do is the Lord Jesus himself. And the sacred books that are meant to judge the church, they're buried somewhere deep. And we use a different measuring stick. We use other churches, we use social media, we use people's opinions, and they judge us. And we bury those books deep, but if we were to dig them up and we begin to look at them, and we would allow the sacred books of God to judge us and be a mirror, we would have the same re reaction as Josiah. We would rip our clothes, we would scream, we would lament, because we would recognize that the church of Jesus Christ is a far shell of what she's supposed to be. You didn't hear me. The church of Jesus Christ is a far shell of what it's supposed to be. We would recognize that our love sometimes is a verbal expression. A verbal exercise and to love the Lord with all my mind my heart and my strength is a great word but maybe it's not the truth of where the church is at because if we would use the mirror of his word we would realize that we are far from loving the Lord with all our heart mind and strength see the beauty of this story this morning is that we don't have to stop right there Josiah realized that and he said, now what's next, God? See, the beauty of this story today is that we can come to the reality of where we are and say, God, this is where we are. This is where your church is at. This is where this nation is at. But today, we can get the house in order. We can get the house in order. See, what happened to Josiah is when he came to the reality of what he saw, he began to contend for revival. It doesn't spell it out that way, but the formula's there. He began to contend for revival. He began to clean the house. He began to move out anything that didn't please the Lord. 
And then they celebrated the Passover, which is the presence of Jesus. That's revival, folks. That's revival. And today, you can look at our nation, we can look at our church, and then we have to look at ourselves and say, do I love the Lord with all my heart, my mind, and my strength? Do I? Is he first in everything? Or sometimes, is my love a verbal exercise? And it's okay if it is, because we can fix it. We start by contending for personal revival. We start by cleaning the house. We begin to move out anything that doesn't please him. We begin to clean up the mess that's inside of us. Oftentimes we'll pray, God move, God move. And God will say, get the junk out of my way. Get it out of my way. I want to move. I want to move. How many of you as parents will get up to your child's room, see the mess and say, oh, and shut the door. There's this mess of idolatry between us and God. And God's saying, I want all your affection. I want all your affection. I don't want part of it. I'm, I'm, I, don't, I didn't give you part of my affection. I gave you everything. I want all of it. Clean up the things that are blocking between you and God. Be willing to obey him at all costs. Don't be pleasers of men. You hear me? Don't be pleasers of men. Be pleasers of God. What does he think? This last Wednesday, I got to preach at a public high school in New Jersey. Unbelievable. Because they said it couldn't be done. So one of our students here at Vintage is the president of the Christian Club. She's on fire. She has a teacher that's an advisor to her. And the teacher, they were holding a Christmas party, had a celebration during school hours, not after school. They said, you can bring in a guest speaker. She said, I'm going to bring in my pastor. And that teacher was on board. It's a woman filled with the Lord. That woman got emails, got restrictions, got threatened. And she said, oh, no. I know what God said to me. I know, I know I'm within my rights. And she stood her ground. She didn't move. When I got there, she grabbed my hand. She said, listen, she said, the student has let me know who you are. She said, I've heard you preach on the internet. She said, I want you to preach this morning. I said, you want me to preach? I said, you understand what you're saying? You understand, I don't need much. You tell me go, I go. So, and she looked at me, she said, I want you to go. She goes, I have worked hard. She goes, there, I believe God is going to meet us. I have stood against the administration. I have stood against everybody because I believe God is with me. And I want a harvest of souls. I said, done, I'm in. We open up the doors, 50 kids show up. 50 kids show up. And you have to understand, this, this is the Christian club. So 50 kids show up. She had candy, she had food. Of course, that was the, the drawer. 50 kids show up in a public high school for the Christian club, and then they say, preach. And I preach my heart out. I preach the gospel unashamed, unrestricted. I preach like I was talking here on a Sunday morning. I talked about miracles. I talked about the power of the Holy Spirit. I talked about God's love for them. At the end, I, I gave an altar call. 35 kids raised their hand to accept Jesus. Thirty-five kids, unashamed, lift their hand to accept the Lord. And then we had altar. We laid hands on the kids. We prayed over them in the power of the Holy Spirit. Teachers that go to that school that are saved came into the Christian club and are praying with me, risking their jobs, risking being disciplined. They didn't care. They didn't care. God showed up. You know what we had in the middle of that public high school? We had church in the middle of that public high school. We had church. Because that student and that teacher said, we will please the Lord first. We're not going to be afraid of man. What, the scripture is clear. What can man do to me? What can man do to me if God is on my side? So we had church. And that 
young girl and that teacher have a harvest now of 35 kids that have given their life to the Lord. They have bombarded them since then. I need a church. I need a Bible. I need, you know why? Because something legitimate happened. And now the hunger in them is beginning to grow. See, son and daughter of God, God wants to revive his people. God wants to pour revival out in the midst of his people. See, we have a misconception about revival. We think revival comes from the satisfied, joyous place of just worshiping God sends revival. It doesn't. It comes from a place of deep-seated desperation where you come to yourself and you say, I'm not satisfied. This can't be it. Serving God can't just simply be this. There has to be more. There has to be more. Filled people don't go to restaurants. Hungry people go to restaurants. When we are so filled with the things of this world and graven idols and all these other things, we don't see our need. But the second we begin to empty those things out and we use the word of God to be a mirror to our life, now we begin to say, oh, Lord, I need you. 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 It's not enough. What I have is not enough. What I have is not enough. I need more of you. I need more of you. And so when we're ready, when we're ready to get our house in order, when we're ready to begin to to, uh, petition God for personal revival, we have to do a couple of things. We have to begin to allow the word of God to be a mirror to our life. How many wake up in the morning and think you look all right till you look in the mirror? You're like, oh, and then you look and you go, what happened last night? I thought I was just asleep. Because that mirror now shows you the truth. We all look great when the mirror of the word of God is down. But when that mirror comes up and we allow it to reflect our life, we see the truth. We allow it to judge us. We allow it to speak to us. Now that word begins to move into our lives. We need to understand what it is to love and obey the Lord at all costs. Love and obey. I'm going to keep saying them together because truly they are the same thing. Love and obey the Lord at all costs. The Lord reminded me of a story during the break that he wanted me to share. When I was in safari in Africa a couple years back, and I might have shared it here, but I don't remember Everyone in Africa on safari wants to see, what do you think they want to see? A lion, there you go. Everyone wants to see Simba. Everybody. Simba's the Swahili word for lion. Everyone wants to see Simba. But Simba is only around at four in the morning. They hunt in the morning and then they sleep the rest of the day. So our tour guide was the best tour guide that we've ever had. I respected this man, so he had so much knowledge. He spoke like nine languages. And so he said, he said, Pastor, if you want to see Simba, we got to get up at four in the morning. I said, I'm in. Let's do it. Four in the morning, I'm up. I have two other girls with me. The rest of the team said, give us shows pictures. We're not up. We want to see pictures. We get up. We get in the van. The van has no roof. So it's a standing open van. And we're all looking around for lions and we want to see lions. But I got this bee around me. And it's buzzing around me. It's annoying. It's this big African bee. So I'm, I'm fanning the bee with my hand. And the driver, who knows so much better than me, who speaks all these languages, has been doing this for years, turns and he says, Pastor, please don't kill the bee. I said, okay. I took my instruction, but it kept bothering me. And it kept buzzing around me. And so finally, I hit it one more time with my hand like this, and it lands right there. So he's not paying attention, because he's looking forward. So I take off my shoe. He's not looking, so, and I swat the bee. I kill it. Family, before I move my shoe off the bee, 20, 30 bees came from every direction. So now I'm looking around, and I'm swarmed with bees. And he turns, he said, you killed the bee. (laughs) I said, I did. What's going on? He said, African bees are very, very loyal. And when they smell one of their comrades have died, they attack the person that killed them. I said, you did not say all of that. 
Christian. And he turned and he looked at me and he goes, I didn't have to give you that information. You just simply needed to know that I knew better than you. I said, I'm so sorry. Now save my life. Get me out of here. Get me out of here. So now he flies down the desert as fast as he can, hoping that the bees will get off us. He has to bring me inside. I have to take a shower. I have to change my clothes because they're trying to change the scent. They have to wash down the truck because it smells like someone has died there. The bees died there. They wash it down. It doesn't work. For the rest of the day, we are followed by bees. For the rest of the day, the whole team's looking at, couldn't you have just left the bee alone? That's all I heard from the team. And of all the nationals that were there, all I heard was a bunch of Swahili, me being pointed to. <laughs> the word mazungu means white person. Something, something, something mazungu, and they point to me. And I was the talk of the camp all day of the person that didn't listen to the tour guide. But listen to what he said to me. I didn't have to give you all the information. I, you simply had to know that I knew better than you. That's the Lord. Obedience to God doesn't mean I have all the information. I don't need the information. All I need to know is that he knows better than me. He knows better than me. That's what obedience looks like. And when I put him first and foremost, and I love him with all my heart, mind, and soul, I obey him, even when I don't understand, even when it doesn't make sense. That made no sense to me not to kill the bee. But it could have cost me my life. 30 bee bites in. And I learned at that moment that if someone knows better than me, I just simply obey them. Family, God always knows better than us. He always knows better than us. We obey him simply because he's God. And we love him. Our act of love to him is not a verbal exercise. It's an action of obedience. That's the outcry of love. It's obedience. And finally, son and daughter of God, you need to begin to daily ask God for personal revival. Let me say that again. You need to begin to ask God every day for personal revival. You want your church on fire, you get on fire. Fire's not going to come and burn the building. It's going to come and burn in our hearts. You want your church on fire, you become on fire. You want the church on fire, we get on fire. We want our nation on fire, the church has got to get on fire. See, it's all reciprocal. We deal with what we can deal with. I get myself on fire. I begin to ask God for revival in my heart and in my being. John Kilpatrick, who pastored the biggest revival in America in our time. I had a chance to spend some personal time with him, incredible man of God. And he said that the revival in his church that saw millions come to know Jesus started in his personal prayer time. He would sit at the altar of the church and cry out to God, there's got to be more. There's got to be more. There's got to be more. And eventually, the fire that burned in him burned in his entire church. See, fire is contagious. Fire is contagious. You get around people that are filled with God, guess what you want? You want to be filled with God. You get around people that know how to pray, all of a sudden you want to pray. You get around people who know how to press into the Holy Spirit and know how to seek the things of God, all of a sudden you want it. And not only do you want it, you begin to crave it. You begin to get hungry for it. And today God is challenging us for personal revival. He's challenging us. There was no place that was more messy for in, in the time than Josiah when he got the kingdom. But God still showed up because Josiah did the work. And we might be in a mess as a nation. We might be in a mess as the church. It doesn't matter. We start getting the house in order for God to do what he's going to do. We start cleaning up the idols that are there. We begin to move the things that don't please God. We begin to get our lives right. We begin to cry out for personal revival. We begin to say, God, do a work in me. God, do a work in me. And as we do that, the presence of the Lord will fill us. And we will not read the book of Acts. We will live the book of Acts. 
we will see it in our midst. We will see it. We will live it. But it starts with each one of us getting this house in order, getting our homes in order, getting this house in order, getting the church in order. And God shows up. Man, he does a work that we could not understand. He prepares us for the work he's going to do. Because I'm telling you, Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. And the church needs to be the church. She was called to be a lion. She wasn't called to be a kitty cat. She was called to be a lion. And she wasn't called to be a lion with no bite. She was called to be filled with power. Same way Israel was. See, Josiah changed Israel for a season. Israel didn't stay where Josiah brought them, unfortunately. But it didn't matter. You know why? Because on his watch, Israel served the Lord. What about your watch? On your watch, will you serve the Lord the way you're supposed to? Will you love the Lord with all your heart, mind, and soul? Will your family on your watch love the Lord with all their heart, mind, and soul? Will this house on your watch love the Lord with all their heart, mind, and soul? Will the church, the church at large, on your watch be the church? What happens after we're gone, that's on them. But right now, what's our What's going to happen on our watch? Is the church going to be a church that experiences revival? Or are we going to live in mediocrity? I've decided on my watch, on my watch, I want fire. On my watch, I want everything he has. On my watch, I want God to move freely in any way that he wants. On my watch. And each one of us has to say, on my watch, what is it going to look like? Would you stand with me this morning? Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Would you close your eyes this morning? I believe God is going to meet us so powerfully right now at the altars. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Would you lift your hands this morning? before the Lord. Hallelujah. Jesus, we give you praise this morning. Jesus, we give you praise. We give you praise. We give you praise. We give you praise. Jesus. 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 On your watch, what does your walk with the Lord look like? Do you love the Lord with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength this morning? And it's okay that you struggle. You just got to be honest with him today. With your hands lifted in an act of surrender before him. Jesus. Maybe there are idols you need to move. That's okay too. This is the time to do it. He's here. His spirit is here to empower, to strengthen to meet you. You don't have to walk out of this place with anything holding you today. God is able to set free. We give you praise, Lord. We give you praise. We give you praise. Would you lift your hands and just worship him? Open up your mouth right now and just worship Jesus. Give him your praise this morning. Give him the adoration of your lips this morning. He is worthy of all the honor, all the glory, all the praise. Jesus, 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 we magnify you. We magnify you. You are high and lifted up this morning, God. You alone are worthy of all the honor, all the glory, all the praise. You alone, you alone sit on the throne of our hearts today, Lord God. We move everything off beside you today, God. We move ourselves off that throne today, Lord God. We know that self can be an idol, God. We move it today, Lord God. And we place you alone as Lord and King. You are the King of our life today. You are the Lord of our life today. And Father, we repent this morning if we've given our affection to anything but you, God. If we've allowed anything to be more important than pleasing you, Jesus. 
Father, for those this morning that struggle with sin in their life, Lord God, there's areas that they're bound to, Lord God. Today, Lord God, would you send the yoke, Lord God, of your spirit, the anointing of your spirit, and would you destroy that yoke in their life today, Lord God? Because you have power today over sin, Lord God. You broke sin at the cross of Calvary, God. And it can't hold us anymore. You destroyed it, God. You've declared your people free. And that sin of idolatry will hold them no more. We give you praise, Lord God. We give you praise, we give you praise. We give you praise, we give you praise. Worthy, 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 Jesus. Come on, church, lift his name up with me for a minute. We give you praise, Lord God. We give you praise, we give you praise. Adore him this morning. Hallelujah. We magnify you, Jesus. Worthy, worthy, worthy. Worthy are you, God. Worthy are you, Jesus. You alone are worthy this morning, Lord God. You alone, you alone, Jesus. You alone. You alone, Jesus. Lord God, 
So that's our prayer this morning. That's our prayer this morning. Would you send revival, Lord God? Would you, would you come, Lord God? We want to celebrate you, Lord God, like they celebrated the Passover, Lord God. They hadn't seen it in years, Lord God, but when they found the sacred books and they got the house in order, Lord God, your presence showed up, God. And today, Lord God, we have the books, Lord God. We're cleaning the house, Father. Now show up, God. Do a work in us, Jesus. Send your spirit, God. I'm going to open the altars right now. And the altar call is real simple this morning. And we have time this morning to spend in the presence of the Lord. We're going to tarry as God does a work in us. Today, if you're hungry for personal revival, and maybe you're not, but you know you should be, I want you to come and flood the altars. And let's pray as a family for God to start revival in each one of our hearts this morning. The altars are open. You can start coming. Say, God, I want you to do revival in me. I want you to do revival in my heart. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. I want to love the Lord with all my heart, mind, and strength this morning. Hallelujah. Thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. Hallelujah. Jesus, Jesus. Jesus. coming to the altar because you're saying, I refuse to let my love for the Lord just be a verbal exercise. I want to live a lifestyle of obedience today. I want his presence in my life. I want revival in my heart today. revive you this morning. Begin to ask him to do a deep work in you today. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Jesus, Jesus. Jesus, Jesus. Jesus, Jesus. 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 Altar workers, as you feel led of the Holy Spirit, just begin to pray for people as God is speaking to you. Hallelujah. But on a whole, let's just begin to cry out to God together. And say, God, would you send revival, Lord God? Would you send revival to our hearts, Lord God? Would you send revival to your house this morning, Lord God? Would you do a work this morning, Jesus? Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Those that are in your pew, would you worship with us this morning? And say, God, pray for this house. Pray for what God is doing in your own life this morning. How beautiful is Jesus this morning. Amen. It's time, church, that our love for the Lord is not a verbal exercise. It's time that we love him with all our heart, mind, and soul. It's time this morning that we begin to press in daily for personal revival. What we have isn't enough. He's good. He's faithful. But this is the one time you're allowed to be greedy and say, I want more. It's not that I want more. I need more. The days ahead, church, we need more. We need more. The days of being mediocre, walking in mediocrity, walking in complacency, just towing the line, they're over. They're done. We need fire from on high. We need fire from on high. We need God to meet his people. We need to be people of power. I love when it says in the book of Acts that when they arrested Peter and John and they were talking to the Sanhedrin that the Sanhedrin marveled at these uneducated, unschooled men because they recognized that they had been with Jesus. You know what that means? They sounded like him. Their anointing was like him. 
Imagine a thousand of us walk out of this building and we look like Jesus. We sound like Jesus. What does New Jersey look like after that? What does America look like after that? We gotta start looking like him. But the only way to look like him, you can't fabricate looking like Jesus. You can't put a mask on. You need the touch from heaven that makes you look like Jesus. So that's what we're contending for today. God, I want revival in my heart. I want revival in my home. I want revival in my church. I want revival in my nation, God. I'm settling for nothing less, God. And I'm gonna be at your door every day, God, until you do it. I'm gonna clean the junk in my house, God. So you have room to move. I'm gonna clean it. I'm gonna do what you're asking. Now, Father, do what I'm asking. And so, Father, we come to you today, Lord God. And we thank you, Lord God, that it's your desire to revive your church. It's your desire to fill us with revival, God. It's your desire, Lord God, that we would be Jesus with skin on everywhere that we go, Lord God. And today, Lord God, we want them to say of us what they said of Josiah. That never was there somebody that loved you the way he did. May they say that after my name, God. May they say that after the name of my brothers and sisters here, Lord God, that never before was there somebody that loved Jesus that way. Touch us this morning. Revive our hearts. Revive us, God. Pour your spirit out over your church. Pour your spirit out over your church, Lord God. Make her what she's supposed to be. Clean the junk out of our lives, God. And cause us to live to please you and you only. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.